1: Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm really glad that you decided to join us for this live online class session to learn and practice loving kindness meditation. Today we're going to be exploring loving kindness meditation and connecting it to why we actually do loving kindness meditation. Why is it so important to practice loving kindness meditation? Well, if you've been learning in this group learning program, One of the things that you understand at this point is that Gautama Buddha discovered three problems in the mind, craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. We also call that greed, hatred, and delusion, or unknowing of true reality. These are referred to as the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, or the three fires. And this week, we're studying chapter 11 in the book, Developing a Life Practice, the Path that Leads to Nibbana. Chapter 11 is all about developing your meditation practice. So last week on Wednesday, we talked about breathing mindfulness meditation and how that addresses the primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered, which is craving, desire, attachment. The way that the mind has this mental longing with a strong eagerness. And because the mind is longing and has this strong eagerness, and it just wants things, it expects things, it holds on to things so tightly, the mind is causing itself to be discontent. The mind is causing its own sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings that you experience in the unenlightened state are all being caused because of the same primary problem. And that's why we only need to practice breathing mindfulness meditation to eliminate the discontent mind, because the primary problem is this craving-desire attachment. So there's not a specialized meditation for boredom, or a specialized meditation for sadness, or a specialized meditation for guilt or shame. Each of These discontent feelings can be remedied by addressing the primary problem, which is craving, desire, attachment, through breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity. Well, this second poison or this second unwholesome root, this second fire, is hatred, anger, or ill will. This is addressed through cultivating loving kindness and loving kindness meditation and then practicing loving kindness in daily life. This is how we remedy this aspect of the mind. And by training the mind with loving kindness meditation, we eliminate this hatred, anger, or ill will, because the way it shows up in your life through the unenlightened mind is it shows up as hostility and aggression and the mind... Looks out for enemies, and when somebody disagrees with you, you kind of push them away and you block them off, and you decide that you don't want to associate with them because they don't agree with your opinions or you don't agree with their opinions. In the unenlightened state, you feel like you need to block these people out of your life, and that's what's going to create the content mind or the peaceful mind. But in reality, what happens is people keep showing up that you disagree with and you keep pushing them away and pushing them away and pushing them away. And you can't have healthy relationships with people in an open, kind way, a very loving way because you have certain expectations of people. You have certain requirements. You have certain conditions that they must meet in order for them to be friends with you or in order for them to be associated with you and if they don't meet these conditions then they're disagreeable and you now need to push them away but what enlightenment is about is training the mind to eliminate these conditions and look at everyone in a very loving and kind way so that you can have open personal and professional relationships where the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in any and all situations, that there isn't anyone that you're unable to communicate with and understand and talk with and uh, spend time with and experience life with. But if we maintain this hatred, anger, and ill will, you're going to constantly be pushing people out of your life and You're going to have struggles in your relationships because you have these conditions that the mind is holding on to, expecting people to meet your conditions. And as soon as they stop meeting your conditions, then you push them away. This isn't love. This is craving, desire, attachment, along with hatred, anger, and ill will. So we need to eradicate this craving-desire attachment through breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity, but we also need to eradicate this hatred, anger, and ill will because it's causing you to push people away out of your life and you struggle with people that have feel like they've caused you harm. You're holding on to that harm and it's hurting you. It's hurting the mind because you're feeling resentful, or you're feeling like you can't forgive this person for the things that you feel that they've harmed you. Or you're looking out and kind of trying to foresee anybody that could potentially be an enemy or somebody who's doing something against you. And when you see that and you observe that, you kind of find ways to push them away and not involve them in your life. So through learning and practicing these teachings, You can then be more open to all beings and then additionally one of the things that happens is oftentimes people have certain guilt or shame or negative self-talk that's in your mind you might not actually have loving kindness for yourself and therefore you can't have it for other people so this loving kindness meditation that i'm going to eventually teach you today starts with you it starts with you cultivating loving kindness for yourself, which will start to reduce and ultimately eliminate this negative self-talk that you have in the mind where you disparage yourself and you knock yourself down. You judge yourself. You look harshly on yourself. And because you're doing that to yourself, you're also doing it to other people in your life. And people don't enjoy being around somebody like this. So the more that you beat up your own self and you disparage your own self, you're going to do that to other people as well. So by clearing up the way that you look at yourself and improving your self-esteem, improving your self-confidence, eliminating that negative self-talk in the mind, by you doing that for yourself, now you can have loving kindness for other people as well. And this is going to be very beneficial for you just so that we know what we're talking about in what we're describing as loving kindness let's talk about what is loving kindness and also will include compassion as well loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment this is a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well because In order for you to eliminate this hatred anger ill will you need to practice the opposite and the opposite of hatred anger ill will is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment where you have this genuine interest in seeing others be well this is very very important on this path and is why loving kindness meditation is an important practice that we employ in these teachings. Not only does it show up in the Brahma-viharas, which we're going to study in about a week and a half, but it shows up at different parts of this Eightfold Path that leads to enlightenment. If you remember from Right Intention, which is the second step of the Eightfold Path, the way the Buddha teaches this is he teaches it as practicing non-ill will or harmlessness, right? By practicing harmlessness and having the intention of not harming, that is an important part of the path because what the Buddha's teachings are awakening the mind to is this natural law of gamma, this cause and effect or action result, essentially the result of your decisions. So by you harming people, Through various things that you do, like your speech and your actions, that harm is going to come back to you. But conversely, if you practice harmlessness or non ill will and you set that intention, which is the second step of the Eightfold Path, now you enter into the world without interest to cause anyone any harm. And this is going to be highly beneficial to the mind because while I call this right intention, You might hear some people call this right thinking or right thought, because you need to enter into the world with the thought or the thinking or the intention of not causing harm to any beings. Because if you cause harm, then harm is going to come back to you. And this is just cause and effect, action, result, the result of your decisions. The natural law of karma is not punishment and rewards it's this action and result cause and effect by you practicing harmlessness and not being interested to harm others people aren't going to be interested to harm you so if you're very friendly very kind very polite to your neighbors they're going to be that way with you if you're very friendly and respectful to your co-workers they're going to be that way with you but so far in your life You probably haven't been that way with everyone in your life. You probably haven't been that way with your parents and your children and your neighbors, your coworkers, and various people that you interact with on a daily basis. And because you've been hostile or angry or aggressive or practicing these anger, hatred, and ill will because you've been speaking in that way and your actions have been that way. That's why this harm is coming back to you. So by you focusing on you, fixing your own mind, now what you put out into the world is going to come back to you. Because see, in the unenlightened mind, what we tend to do is we tend to try to fix everybody else. We think that everyone else is the problem. So we go around trying to fix our life partner or fix our children or fix our neighbors or fix our coworkers because we think everyone else is causing us to be angry. But the first part of this path of right view is all about accepting responsibility for your own mind accepting responsibility for your decisions and realizing that you are causing your own discontent mind. So if you start out with the understanding of right view that you need to focus on your own mind in your own practice, which is right view, understanding that you cause all your anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, the whole lot of discontent feelings. When you start out with right view, understanding that you're causing it, then the beauty in that is that you can eliminate it because you're causing it. So that's why the second step of this path is then about practicing harmlessness or non-ill will. The way that you get to that is through practicing loving-kindness meditation, cultivating in the mind this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And then when you have that, we move into right speech, which also includes loving kindness as well, which we've covered in our past talks and we'll probably end up covering today. One of the questions that came up on Sunday by Rhonda is she asked, David, how do you practice loving kindness for someone like a murderer, right? Someone who's murdered or someone who's done sexual abuse of children? How can you have active goodwill without judgment for this person? Well, one of the things that I wrote in the book and one of the things that I teach, but I didn't say on Sunday that I would like to make sure that I say here today, is that this compassion, this concern for others' misfortune is really important compassion or the concern for others' misfortune is understanding that this person, this murderer, this person who is committing sexual acts with a minor, for example, which is the example that was given, this person is unknowing of true reality. They haven't learned the teachings that would awaken their mind to understand that this harm that they're doing is very harmful to these beings. To the person they're murdering or the person that they're having sexual relationships with that's a minor somewhere in their mind of course they know it's wrong but they don't have the control over their mind to actually stop themselves from doing it they haven't trained themselves to be able to control the mind so when these thoughts or these impulses or these ideas of murdering a person or having sexual relations with a minor child, those thoughts or impulses are coming to the mind and because they haven't trained their mind, they're unable to control it. So somewhere in there, of course, they know that they're wrong, but they're unable to control these impulses. And what these teachings are all about is training the mind so that you can then control the mind. Breathing mindfulness meditation is really good for that, helping you to control the mind so that anger and frustration, you get better and better control over that. But loving-kindness meditation is going to help you to cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment so that you don't cause harm to others. One of the other things that I was interested to mention based on Rhonda's question, how do you practice loving-kindness towards these people that are causing harm in the world. Well, not only is it compassion about having concern for misfortunes and seeing that these people are not able to control their mind because they haven't trained their mind, but one of the other things that I mention in the book and that I mentioned in my teachings is that it's important to look at all beings as your family, as family members. Gautama Buddha talked about this, and I talk about it as well, about how we've had countless, countless births prior to this life. And you may not remember those births at this time, and that's okay. You may not ever remember them, and that's okay. But you've had countless, countless, countless births in the past as a lizard, as a snail, as a snake, as a worm, all these different animals and all these different beings, and maybe some previous human beings. You've had so many rebirths that Gautama Buddha described that it would be impossible for you to find a being that exists today that has not previously been your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, or some other relative. So we're all relatives we're all brothers and sisters we've all been family at one point in time so when we were snakes we were brothers or when we were lizards i was your sister and you were my mom Uh, when we were monkeys you know you were my grandmother and i was your uh, grandson or granddaughter we've all been relatives at some point in our life and if you train the mind to think this way and understand this, then when a mosquito lands on you, that's like your brother coming to say hello to you. And are you going to kill it? No, you just kind of flick it off, right? Or when you see a snake, while right now maybe you're scared of snakes, but just look at that as your sister, right? And conversely, when you see that murderer or when you see that person who's committing sexual acts with children, look at them as your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, or some other relative, and have loving kindness and compassion for these beings that they just aren't at a point in their life where they understand, where they understand truly and deeply that their actions are causing harm and they just don't have the control of their mind to be able to control these impulses. It doesn't mean that we just let them run wild in society and go do whatever it is that they're doing because they can't control the mind. They experience the result of their decisions, this gamma, this cause and effect, this action and result. When they go out and murder somebody, they experience the results of that. That's why we have law enforcement. That's why we have jails. That's why we have prison sentences. Even if people escape from law enforcement, they're still on the run. They're very fearful. They can't lay down roots. They can't have a peaceful life because they're always looking over their shoulder. They can't really hold a very well-established professional career because of their gamma because of the results of their decisions of murdering or causing harm to children in a sexual way, their life isn't going to be the same because they've caused harm to others. Therefore, harm is coming to them by way of people choosing to lock them away or choosing not to have them work for them or not feeling safe having them in the community. But these individuals themselves, while they have done some bad things and they've made some bad choices and they haven't been able to control their mind, they are able to train their mind. They are able to fix that if they ever encounter these teachings and start to learn and practice these teachings. A few classes ago, I talked about a murderer during Gautama Buddha's lifetime that had murdered about a thousand people and actually attained enlightenment during his lifetime. So it is possible for these people to transform and rehabilitate, but it's gotta be their choice. They've gotta step forward. Society can put them in a jail. Society can put them away to keep everyone else safe. However, that person isn't going to progress and improve the condition of the mind and the condition of their life if they don't choose to improve the mind if the mind continues to be untrained and therefore uncontrolled, it's going to continue to have problems in the world. So having compassion for these people and looking at them as your relatives can oftentimes really help you to soften and you don't agree with their, with their speech or their actions. You don't agree with what they've done. You disagree with that murder or you disagree with that sexual crime that they committed but you can still practice I would like to see this person be well I would like to see them improve their life I'm concerned for their misfortune I'm concerned that they had some hard times in their life but that doesn't excuse their behavior that doesn't excuse their actions They need to go away and experience the results of their decisions, which is prison or jail or whatever else it is, but you can still practice loving kindness and compassion for them because by you holding on to the hatred, anger, ill will, it doesn't do anything. It just is harming you. So what loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness is about is releasing that hatred, anger, and ill will from your mind. And this is one of the reasons why we lead into loving kindness meditation with breathing mindfulness meditation, where you learn to release things from the mind and you don't hold on to things so tightly. So you'll be able to practice loving kindness meditation much more deeply if you've actually done breathing mindfulness meditation leading into loving kindness meditation. So I'd like to pause here and see what questions you guys have about either breathing mindfulness meditation, about our talk on Sunday, about meditation in general, all the different positions and all the different things that we talked about on Sunday, or loving kindness meditation. So I would like to just kind of open the floor and see what questions you guys have about anything with meditation at this point.
2: I'd like to ask Dave about a quote from the book Developing a Life Practice, You quote the Buddha as he talks about the importance of having good friends, good companions and comrades, and he lists uh, a series of benefits to surrounding ourselves with good people. And then he goes on to establish another four things that a student should develop, having built it on those. So I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of having good friends, companions, the importance of a sangha. and why this is so important as we practice meditation and and loving-kindness.
1: Yes, so you guys have probably experienced being around people who are judgmental. Maybe you are a person who is judgmental. Maybe you gossip. Maybe in the past you've been into uh, certain substances that cause heedlessness. Maybe you've even stolen or lied or committed sexual misconduct in terms of cheating on partners and things like this. If you are that way or you're around people who are that way, you're gonna tend to walk in that direction. So if you're around people who are comfortable killing, stealing, committing sexual misconduct, lying, people who are using substances that cause heedlessness, you're gonna more likely move in that direction. If you're around people who are talking harshly, people who are talking aggressively, people who have hatred and anger, By you being around that environment and choosing to be around those people, your gamma is that you're most likely going to move in that direction too. It's your choice to involve certain people in your life. And if you're involving people in your life that are, let's just use the word unwholesome or doing unwholesome things, then you're going to move in that direction because it's kind of acceptable in that group and almost kind of expected that people are going to do bad things. Like I'm thinking about like if there was a gang or something like this who goes out and murders and sells drugs or sexual workers and steals and, you know, vandalizes things. If you're around those kind of people, then that's what you're going to tend to do. Where what the Buddha was talking about is he was saying, we should choose to have good friends, good associates, good comrades, good companions. And what he means by good is he means people who are practicing these teachings. They don't necessarily need to be Buddhist, but there's people in the world who have never even heard of the Buddha, but they're still loving. They're still kind. They're still polite. They're still generous. They still speak friendly and respectful to people because these teachings that the buddha shared while i think he described them very well and detailed and profound very clear and concise these types of teachings shows up in many parts of the world in various traditions the buddha is describing this as the natural law of gamma but other people have tapped into these same natural laws but they just didn't describe them as natural laws so If you surround yourself or you choose to interact with people who are into good, wholesome things, then you're going to be more likely to move in that direction. So what you've got to understand is that you can choose to not be around people who are into unwholesome things as a personal choice, but you're not judging them. You don't have hatred for them. You don't have anger. You don't have ill will towards them. You're not having aversion to them. You're not putting a wall between you and them. You're just making the choice that I would rather walk in this direction. And if you saw one of these people on the street, you'd still say hi, you'd still be polite, you'd still be friendly, you'd still be respectful, but you're just choosing not to be involved in those activities that those people are choosing to be involved in. So by you choosing to be around people who are into good, wholesome things, your mind is gonna to lean towards enlightenment and good, wholesome things. So the community of practitioners, or the Sangha, which is what Gotama Buddha described it, these are all practitioners who are learning and practicing the teachings. And not only looking for these good qualities of people who are friendly and kind, respectful, loving, generous, and things like this, But if you are in a true Sangha, a true community that's practicing the teachings, then there's support, there's encouragement, there's people that are going through the same challenges as you, and by you being around them, you can relate to their stories, and you can understand their struggles, and also what's benefiting them, and what's improving their training, and you can learn from that, and you can improve your own mind as well. This is very helpful and very beneficial for you to have that encouragement and support of the community or the Sangha around you. So having good companions, good friends, good associates, good comrades, it's really important. Doesn't mean that you're judging other people, you're just choosing this person is into cocaine, they're getting high two or three times a day. I know that I used to do that in the past, and if I continue to be around this person, I'm going to continue to do that too. So I'm just going to choose not to be around that and make friends who are into good, wholesome things. And this is going to be beneficial for your practice and is what Gautama Buddha suggested as well.
2: So, Sangha is really about not only not getting sucked into unwholesome behavior, but really serving as a kind of inspiration and education over what is wholesome. Because if we didn't have examples, how would we know? It seems like the Sangha in the community is really like first base for understanding what it means to live with wholesome qualities, with virtue.
1: Right. And it's also like a bit of a role model, right? Like me being here in Thailand, 95% of this country is practicing Buddhist practitioners. And out of Thailand, I live in Chiang Mai in the north, which is really well known for practicing these teachings very closely because of their community and just the community that's been established here. So when I go out into the community, I can observe generosity and loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity. These are things we're gonna study in about a week and a half. I can observe people practicing right view Where people are taking responsibility for the things that they're doing. I can observe people practicing right intention of harmlessness. I can observe people practicing right speech and being very kind, very polite, very humble, very peaceful. I can observe all the teachings. We could go all the way through the teachings. Once you learn the teachings very well and very deep, as you're starting on this path and as you're starting to get some insight into the teachings, having a community around you that's deeply practicing the teachings you can assimilate and model your practice after what you're observing of other people so it really helps to be part of a community of people that are learning and practicing these teachings from my observation people who have been to thailand and experienced thailand tend to make a lot of progress in their practice because they understand they've been in a buddhist society and they see the results of people practicing these teachings they see the generosity and the peacefulness and the calmness and the steadiness of the people's minds here and they've experienced generosity and kindness of the people so you just get it so being here in thailand is a huge benefit to one's practice But that doesn't mean you can't progress, you can't learn, and you can't attain enlightenment living somewhere else. It just means that having that community is just one more benefit and one more advantage to you learning and practicing these teachings that's going to be helpful and beneficial to your life and your practice.
2: All right. Thank you for that, David. We have a follow-up from Bill. He says, perhaps you could explain your definition of judgment. It seems that it's a natural thing for the mind to judge even looking for good companions, we're judging their behavior and making a choice to be in their company.
1: Yeah, thanks for that question, Bill. The way that I define judgment, and I'm pretty sure I defined it this way in the book too, is judgment is placing yourself above somebody or below somebody. So looking at some behavior or some trait or something that someone's doing and placing yourself above them or below them. This is very destructive to the mind. Of course putting yourself above someone is arrogance and ego and pride and looking down on others and that's going to come across in your speech and your actions and you're going to find challenges interacting with people with this arrogance ego and pride but equally as destructive is putting yourself below people because oftentimes people in positions like maybe a police officer or a politician or a community leader or an owner of a business. If you've ever put yourself below people, then when you're around these people who you put above you, you're going to be very nervous. You're going to be very anxious. Your mind is not going to be calm because you're seeing this person above you and you're feeling like you have to perform in a certain way for that individual and this is going to be destructive for the mind so one of the things we're going to talk about in a week and a half is equanimity which involves viewing all people equally as all people are the same we've got the president of the country and you've got people who are collecting trash on the street all these people are the same all these people are equal in your mind you have to view them as equal The president of the United States or the prime minister of Thailand or prime minister of England, these people perform a certain role in society, but in terms of these teachings and the way you need to train your mind is they're just the same as everybody else. They're the same. This person who's collecting trash and going around house to house and collecting trash, that person is just the same as the president of any country or prime minister of any country, they just perform a different role in the world than the president. Now, not everybody views the world this way. And this is one of the reasons why we have so many problems in the world is because everybody's judging each other and putting people up and putting people down. And we've got this whole off-balance society and humanity where people are looking down on others based on their race based on their sexual orientation, based on their income and their social position in society, and all these other criteria, people are looking down on others or putting people up. And this is one of the reasons why we have an off-balance society. But in order for you to practice non-judgment is you've got to look at all these people as equal. Now, in terms of looking for a partner or looking for a friend or a good companion you're not gonna judge people you're not gonna put yourself above or below them but what you're gonna do is you should use wise decision-making or discernment wise decision-making is aha this person is into cocaine they get high regularly okay they're having some struggles in their life probably not the best friend for me to hang around and be with all the time. I'm not judging them. I'm not looking down on them. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not looking up to them. I see that they're just struggling. I have concern for their misfortune. I have this compassion for this misfortune that they've encountered, this struggle in their life. But in wise decision-making and discernment, It would probably be a wise decision that I don't choose that person to be my life partner because they're really struggling with this substance of cocaine right now. That's probably not the person I want to watch my child when me and my wife go out somewhere. We probably don't want to hire that person to be a babysitter. Right, So I'm not judging them. I'm not looking down on them with arrogance, ego, or pride. I'm not looking up to them as they're higher in society than me. I'm looking at them equally, but wise decision-making is I probably shouldn't involve them in my life because if they're doing this damage to their own body with cocaine, then I'm probably going to experience some unwholesome decisions that they make if I include them in my life. So that's the difference between judgment and wise decision-making or discernment. So you can practice wise decision-making and discernment without judging people. And judgment is what we don't want to do. We don't want to judge people and place ourselves above or below them. We are interested in having wise decision-making. So you can maintain this loving kindness, active goodwill towards all beings, without judgment not putting yourself above or below people but just seeing everyone is equal and having a genuine interest for all beings to be well but then make wise decision making about who you involve in your life we have a question from manal
2: teacher david
1: could a practitioner ever regress on their path even though
2: they practice the eightfold path
1: You know, you could be practicing the Eightfold Path and progressing in your practice, and then someone could give up or choose to not practice anymore, choose to not continue to go forward. That's a potential. But as you get closer and closer to the four jhanas and definitely the first stage of enlightenment, at that point, things are really well dialed in and people aren't going to regress. By the time you start experiencing the jhanas and definitely the first stage of enlightenment, your mind is leaning towards enlightenment at that point. You already know that you've experienced a significant amount of benefits in order to get to the first four jhanas, in order to get to the first stage of enlightenment. You've cleaned up a lot of things in your life. And at that point, the thought doesn't even enter into your mind of, having to regress or stop practicing these teachings because you've already seen too many benefits. You've already seen too much improvement. You've already seen the light and you're going to walk towards the light. So prior to that, sure, people could start for three months, six months on this path, start learning and then give up and fall back to old behaviors. And that oftentimes comes from complacency but that's one of the other roles of a community. Going back to Max's question, is if you're part of a community of practitioners where there's support and encouragement and there's good people around you, and you're showing up to an event like this once a week, twice a week, and you've got other practitioners that are supporting and encouraging you along the path, and you've got a teacher to help you as well, then you're gonna be less likely to revert back to old behaviors. Whereas if you surrounded yourself with people who aren't interested in improving their life and they're just damaging their life and they're damaging other people's life, then you're going to have more of a tendency to fall off and revert and go backwards.
2: And with that, David, even though we're always moving forward, there can still be a sense sometimes of coming back. It can sometimes feel like 10 steps forward, 9 steps back. We might go a month without saying something harsh and then under certain conditions we feel agitated it slips out and so what are your thoughts on that and what guidance do you have in how to deal with those kinds of although they might seem like setbacks they're not really setbacks
1: yeah so when you experience situations where you're realizing you're not practicing the teachings and you're experiencing discontentedness because of it You might feel guilty or shameful, or you might feel sad that you're not as far along as you thought you were. During these times, that's where you need to look inward. You need to look inward and gain wisdom. You need to look and say, okay, I'm experiencing discontentedness. Why is that? There's got to be a craving, desire, attachment somewhere. What is it? Ah, I have this longing and strong eagerness for perfection. I have this longing, strong eagerness to be at a certain place on the path. I'm judging myself. I'm kind of looking around for indications of where am I on this path? Because I know Manal asked a question about this just recently. And this question she's asking now is kind of along those lines that she's kind of looking out for where am I on this path? Am I getting close to enlightenment? Where am I? Where am I? Right? The mind kind of longing for enlightenment and kind of wants to see, am I making progress somewhere along this path? So oftentimes the mind causes itself discontentness because it's on this path and it wants to be further along than it is, or it thinks that it's further along than it is because of the ego and arrogance in there. And then when you experience the discontentedness or you talk harshly to your life partner or your children or your parents, you start feeling guilty and shameful about that. But what you've got to do is you've got to look inward and you've got to start evaluating what happened in this situation right put a pause on things look inward evaluate what happened okay i'm causing my own discontentedness it's from craving and desire attachment let me find out what that is and there might be two three four of them so that i can eliminate them and i can eradicate them so that i don't experience this discontent anymore look at your speech and did i practice the five factors of well-spoken speech start to contrast this experience and the situation with the teachings and kind of like bucket up against the teachings and identify where you lacked the ability to practice the teachings don't beat yourself up don't be shameful because you're not going to be perfect until you get to enlightenment right you're not going to have a perfect practice Of these teachings until you get to enlightenment. So all the way up until then, you're going to be stumbling over your feet. You're going to be having problems. You're not going to remember this, that, or the other thing. Your mind is going to experience anger and hatred and frustration and irritation. So just get comfortable with the fact that you're going to slip up, so to speak. And when you do, that's where you've just got to look inward. You got to look at that and see where did I slip up What did I miss in these five factors of well-spoken speech? And that's why my conversation with my life partner didn't go well, because I wasn't practicing these. And now, just look to do better for the future. So put the past in the past. This is why we don't hold on to the past. This is why we don't anticipate being perfect in the future. We just live in the present moment. Right now, I just had this bad conversation with my life partner. I'm feeling miserable about it. I feel guilty about it. Let me understand what I did wrong. What did I do wrong? They might have been wrong too. They might have been 90% wrong, but figure out your 10%. They might have been 99% wrong, but figure out your 1%. Because you figuring out their 99% doesn't help you. You've got to improve your practice. Look inward, discover that wisdom that's going to improve and strengthen your practice And then if you need to go apologize, go apologize and say sorry. And that can really help with the ego. You know, even if you were 1% wrong in the situation, it can really help the situation if you go and apologize. And what you might find is they'll actually apologize to you too. So you got to put the past in the past. And even if it just happened 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago, you've got to put that in the past and you've got to look inward Look at your practice, look at the teachings. If you need to reach out to your teacher, reach out to your teacher, reach out to other members of the community, call Max, call James, call Judith, call Marcia, Randall, anybody that you've built relationship with and say, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this. I'm not quite sure, you know, what happened here. And get some help. And then that strengthens your practice because you'll gain the wisdom of where you stumbled over your feet and now you can make it better for the future. And that's what you've got to do. But just sitting there in the misery, sitting there in the discontentedness, and feeling guilty and shameful, that guilt and shame is just an indication that something's wrong, something's discontent. But you've got to get right on the horse and try to figure out what is it that is causing this? Where did I slip up in the teachings? And then that's what's going to improve and strengthen your practice.
2: That's great. Thank you, David. We have no more questions at the moment.
1: Okay. So what I would like to do for today prior to doing loving kindness meditation and sharing that with you guys is I would like to ensure that we understand why we're practicing loving kindness meditation. And in order to do that, I'm going to share a few things with you here. Connected to right speech because we've already talked about how loving-kindness is important for that second step of the Eightfold Path, which is right intention, because we need to have this intention of practicing harmlessness and non-ill will. The way you get to that is by cultivating loving-kindness or active goodwill. But through that, through just having the intention of non-ill will and harmlessness and cultivating that with meditation— that's not the complete solution, because as you know, there's eight steps to this eightfold path. We need to ensure that that harmlessness that we cultivate and we practice as an intention, that it moves into our speech. Because the speech that the Buddha talks about us practicing as right speech includes polite, respectful, wholesome speech, where we don't engage in idle chatter or unpurposeful speech, that we don't gossip or have harsh language or lies or deceit or slander, because this is going to cause harm to other people. But we ensure that we practice the five factors of well-spoken speech. The five factors of well-spoken speech are that we speak at the right time. What we speak is truthful that when we speak, we speak gently. What we say is beneficial, and it's spoken with a mind of loving kindness. This is where loving kindness once again plugs into the Eightfold Path. It plugs in at the second step of right intention, but it also plugs in here at right speech because we need to have this genuine interest in others being well we need to practice non-judgment. That's what it means to speak with a mind of loving kindness. And if you set your intentions of not harming, and then you gradually work and train the mind closer and closer to these five factors of well-spoken speech, then you'll see your personal and professional relationships be conducted and result in more beneficial outcomes for you. One of the other parts of this five factors of well-spoken speech that oftentimes is overlooked is where the Buddha talks about blamelessness, right? You guys have all been in conversations where people have blamed you for things, and even if it was an honest mistake, you didn't like it that people were blaming you for things. or you didn't make a mistake, the person is just blaming you, and you really didn't do anything wrong, and they're just blaming you, and you didn't like that. Or you've blamed other people for things, and it's damaged your relationship. So if you can just have loving kindness, active goodwill for all beings, you can have this compassion, this concern for others' misfortune, then when you talk, you can not only speak with these five factors of well-spoken speech, but you can speak blamelessly. This is part of what he discusses here in the five factors of well-spoken speech. What he says is, bhikkhus, possessing the five factors, speech is well-spoken, not badly spoken. It is blameless and beyond reproach by the wise. What five? One, it is spoken at a proper time. Two, what is said is true. Three, it is spoken gently. Four, what is said is beneficial. Five, it is spoken with a mind of loving kindness. Possessing these five factors, speech is well spoken, not badly spoken. It is blameless and beyond reproach by the wise. Whenever you see the Buddha talking about the wise, what he's talking about is enlightened people, people who are learning and practicing these teachings and understand these teachings really well. So people who are wise are going to recognize these five factors and they're going to understand that you're not trying to cause harm. But even others who aren't on this path, what you'll notice is that if you speak this way with them because of this natural law of gamma, you will notice that you will be able to speak in a way that doesn't cause harm. So therefore, even somebody who's not on this path, these five factors of well-spoken speech, including blameless, then you will see that your personal and professional relationships will go well because if you speak at the wrong time if you're interrupting people that's not going to go well people don't like that or if you've got hatred anger frustration irritation in your mind and you're trying to speak at that time it might be the right time for the other person but it's the wrong time for you so you've got to ensure that when you have a conversation that it's the right time for the other person but it's also the right time for you to be having this conversation So that's what it's all about when we say it's spoken at the proper time. Because if you've got hatred and anger in your mind, the words that are gonna come out aren't gonna be with loving kindness. So you've gotta know when is the right time to speak here for yourself. And that's where mindfulness or awareness of mind becomes so important. You've gotta have that awareness of mind. And even though you wanna just say something and you're just angry, that's where you've got to apply right effort. You got to cut that off, abandon those unwholesome thoughts, and maybe just remain quiet. It's not the right time to talk. And if somebody keeps trying to talk with you, you might just have to say, you know what? It's not the right time for me to talk right now. Just give me some time. We can talk later, right? So be very aware of the mind of your mind and other people's minds too. If you're children or your partner comes in and your partner's been at a busy day at work. And as soon as they walk in the door, boom, you jump on them and start talking about all the problems that are going on in the household. That's not the right time to talk. They just walked in the door. It's not time to download a bunch of problems and struggles that are happening in the household. Let them put their stuff down. Let them sit down, get some water, let them take a rest, let them have some food. And then maybe you want to ask them, Honey, I've got some things that I need to talk about. There's a couple struggles that I think that we should discuss. Is this the right time to talk about that, right? That's a really good way to enter into a challenging conversation. So if you know you're gonna have a challenging conversation, you might even wanna check with somebody before you actually have that conversation. So the proper time is very important. Then what we say needs to be true. We need to be a truth speaker. We need to be one to be relied on. We need to be dependable and trustworthy. When we get in the habit of always speaking the truth, constantly speaking the truth, then people start to learn around us. Every time this person opens their mouth, they say nothing but the truth. And that is going to be very beneficial amongst your personal and professional relationships. Whereas if you spoke with deceit or gossip or slander or you were lying, people are going to discover those things and people aren't going to want to talk to you. Or when you do talk, people aren't going to heave your advice because they don't know if it's truth or if it's lies. And if you gossip and slander people, people are going to gossip and slander you because you've made it acceptable and normal for your five group of friends that you're always gossiping with when you're not around you can guarantee that they're gonna be gossiping about you. That's your gamma. That's the result of your decisions. Because you're choosing to gossip, because you're choosing to speak false truths, people are gonna lie to you as well. So if you're lying to others, you can be sure that people are lying to you as well. The only way to fix that is not to go around and teach everyone else to tell the truth while you still lie. The way to fix that, that people are lying to you, is you've got to always tell the truth. The Buddha understood this so well that he didn't even tell a joke that had a lie. He even told the truth when he told a joke. That's how important it is to always speak the truth. The third factor is spoken gently. Our words need to be spoken gently. This goes to our tempo our tone, and our word choice. So if we're speaking with a tone that is aggressive and harsh, that's not practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech. Or if our tempo, if we're speaking very fast, very rapidly, jumping around from thing to thing to thing, that's not speaking gently. Or if we're speaking in a way that our word choice not very peaceful it's not very calm it's not very friendly it's not very respectful you need to clean up the words that you're using and that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for you because your mind has been used to speaking a certain way and these certain words that you've been using come very easy they just roll off the tongue you might be using profanity you might be speaking harshly. You might be like, oh, God, I hate that car, or I hate when he does that. It's, you know, that, oh, God, I hate when that happens, right? Those things are maybe coming natural to you now because that's what you've been doing. But when you start to clean up your practice and you start realizing how you're speaking, that your tone, your tempo, and your word choices aren't the best, as you learn and train your mind to speak more and more gently it'll just become easy it'll become first nature but to kind of ramp your practice up to speak this way it's going to take some practice and that's why we call this a life practice because you need to gradually move in this direction and practice this way and then when you see certain things are working and you use certain word choices and certain phrases and certain tempos and tones that are working, now you can take that on board and you can be like, wow, this really worked in this situation. Let me use this some more. Let me continue to practice in this way because it really worked well with my son or really worked well with my coworker or really worked well with my neighbor. Let me use this with more and more people and kind of test and practice to see if I've discovered the truth here. Because once I discover the truth of the way to actually practice this, then I've got wisdom and now I can do that more often and it becomes first nature. The fourth factor here is what we say is beneficial. This is to speak with purpose, not just idle chatter and random speech. Even if other people are doing that around us, That doesn't mean that we need to do it and that we don't need to expect other people to do it, right? Training your mind that other people are just rambling and idle chatter and unpurposeful speech. And then when it's the right time, then you can step in and just speak and you can speak beneficially. You can choose the right words to speak in such a way that your words are helpful and purposeful rather than all these random words that clutter your speech and make it hard for people to understand what it is that you're actually saying. When you speak with lots of miscellaneous words, it makes the person's mind work harder and therefore people aren't gonna be interested to talk to you or they're gonna have more of a challenge to talk to you and it's gonna be hard for you to get your message across. Whereas if you train your mind to speak with purpose or beneficially, then you can clean up your language and clean up your speech, remove all the miscellaneous words, and just speak very purposefully. Then you can be more impactful and helpful and beneficial to the people you're speaking with. And then the thing that holds all this together is speaking with a mind of loving kindness active goodwill without judgment, having a genuine interest in others being well. You can practice all these other four factors, but if you're missing this fifth factor, the conversation isn't going to necessarily go well. So let's just say I'm at an airport, I get a ticket for a plane, and they've made some mistake it might be the proper time to speak. It might be true. It might be gentle. It might be beneficial. But if I've got some sarcasm in there and I'm just trying to rouse somebody up, I'm not speaking with loving kindness. And that sarcasm that people feel and they sense, it's not going to go over well, even if it's the right time, even if it's true, even if it's gentle, right? Because sometimes we can be sarcastic with a smile, And we can look at people. and We can smile. and We can be kind of sarcastic. And it can even be beneficial because you think you're trying to help this person. But if you're really coming at them with this ill intent, this sarcasm, it's not going to go over well. So you've got to be practicing all these five factors. One of the things you can do is as you're having conversations now, when they go really well, Look at these five factors and be like, yep, I practice this, I practice that, I practice that. And then also look at other people, even though they don't know these teachings, wow, they practice these five factors. And that's why the conversation's going well. Or in a situation where the conversation doesn't go well, reflect on these five factors and look at the ones that you didn't practice. And that's why the conversation didn't go well. And now, in subsequent conversations and future conversations, just dedicate yourself to getting closer and closer to practicing all these five factors, including blamelessness. And by you practicing this way, you're going to experience better results in your personal and professional relationships. But as you heard here, all of this gets held together with loving kindness, so if you've got anger hatred ill will or other lighter versions of this in the mind you're going to find it very difficult to speak in this way with all five factors so the loving kindness meditation that we're doing today and that you do subsequently in your life practice as part of your life practice that's going to be beneficial in your daily life When you're trying to move closer and closer to practicing right speech through these five factors of well-spoken speech, without the loving kindness meditation and cultivating this active goodwill in the mind, moving out this hatred, moving out the anger, moving out the ill will, and cultivating this genuine interest in others being well without judgment, if you didn't do that, you're going to find it hard practice the five factors of well-spoken speech. So in terms of your foundation of meditation practice and actively training the mind, loving kindness meditation is an important part of that, but it moves into your life practice through right intention, the second step of the Eightfold Path, as well as right here with right speech, the third step on the Eightfold Path. So we need this loving-kindness meditation to eradicate hatred, anger, ill will so that we can bring it forth in our right intention, and our right speech, and then, of course, throughout our daily life. Let me pause here and see if you guys have any questions on the five factors or anything we've been discussing so far.
2: I'd like to ask a question about this fifth factor with a mind of Mm loving-kindness. Using your example there, David, let's say we spoke with the first four factors and rather than speaking with sarcasm let's just say that we're making our absolute best effort to appear as though we're speaking with loving kindness even though inside we're experiencing a bit of frustration at the airport staff for messing up our ticket let's say is that not practicing right speech or is that actually right effort because we know that It's it's right to speak this way. We're, We're trying to cultivate this wholesome quality of loving kindness and abandon the unwholesome quality of frustration. Or is that actually not speaking with right speech? Because inside, we're not speaking with loving kindness.
1: You can be frustrated. You can be quietly frustrated and still practice right view, right intention, right speech, and all the way through. The fact that you're experiencing discontentedness, frustration, or irritation, you've got to be able to overcome that and still practice the Eightfold Path, which includes right speech here with loving kindness. You've got to overcome that. And that's where right effort comes in, is recognizing that the mind is frustrated And either perhaps you're in a situation where you don't have the opportunity to wait for the proper time. Like if you were at that ticket booth and the airport, you can't say, you know what? I'm a little bit frustrated here. Let me come back. Right. Like you probably have to take care of that transaction right there. And then in a situation where you can put things on pause and you can wait until the mind clears out and not be frustrated and then re-engage, that would be ideal, but you're not always going to be in that situation. And that's where having mindfulness and awareness of mind, knowing that the mind is frustrated or irritated, but also knowing what these five factors are, you can overcome that frustration and just stay utterly focused on practicing these five factors, no matter what, even though the mind is quietly frustrated. And that would be a good application of right effort to eliminate the unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. And that would be a great application of right mindfulness, having awareness of mind. This is part of the mental discipline of the Eightfold Path. This right speech is part of the moral conduct, our actual conduct, our speech, our actions, and our livelihood. But our mental discipline can help us to overcome that frustration or irritation through our conduct. And then the more you get a handle on this mental discipline as the frustration and irritation slowly start to be eliminated and extinguished, this right speech and right actions and this moral conduct becomes easier and easier because you have better and better control over the mind.
2: Thanks, David. We have no more questions
1: at the moment. All right. So I would like to share this teaching with you guys because, as you know, I often share teachings directly from Gautama Buddha. He shared some really interesting teaching here related to loving kindness as well as right speech. Here, it's a longer teaching, so I'll have to flip in order to read it. It's titled, Training Mind Imbued with Loving Kindness. Without hostility, without ill will. Okay, this is the title that the book that I got it from actually titled it as Bhikkhus. Remember, that means like students, it's his male ordained practitioners. Bhikkhus, there are these five courses of speech that others may use when they address you. Their speech may be timely or untimely, true or untrue gentle or harsh connected with good or with harm right that's either beneficial or unbeneficial spoken with a mind of loving kindness or inner hate okay so these are all the different options of how somebody might talk then he goes on he says herein bhikkhus you should train thus our minds will remain unaffected and we shall utter no evil words we shall abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate we shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness and starting with him we shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness abundant exalted immeasurable without hostility and without ill will that is how you should train bhikkhus And then there's more after that. And then he finishes it up with that will lead to your welfare and peacefulness for a long time. So what he's saying here is that there's people who are going to speak lots of different ways. There's people who are going to speak with all five factors of well-spoken speech. And of course, it's really easy to have loving kindness and compassion for that person because they're not causing any harm. But there's also gonna be people who speak untimely, untrue, harsh, that they're going to speak unpurposeful, unbeneficial. They're gonna speak with inner hate. And what he's saying here is what do we do when this happens? He says our mind will remain unaffected, right? No matter how people speak to us, you need to train your mind to be unaffected. Their hate is their hate. That's their gamma. Their harsh words, their aggression, their hostility, that's their words. It affects them. But if you respond with hate, now it affects you. Or if somebody lies to you all the time and you lie back, now it affects you. right? Or if someone keeps interrupting you and now you interrupt them, now it affects you. But if you remain unaffected when people aren't practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, now your practice is going to benefit from that. And he says, we shall utter no evil words, right? We need to train our mind to practice harmlessness. We shall abide compassionate for their welfare, Right? Think about this as being your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, or some other relative, even a stranger on the street, even a taxi driver, a waiter, a waitress, anybody that you come in contact with. Look at everybody as your family members. Here in Thailand, here in Chiang Mai, we refer to people as our mother, our father, our brother and sister. When we go out in public. Even today, I took my son out to eat at the mall, and the lady scooping my food, I was telling her how good the food tastes, and I asked her, did you cook it? And when I asked her, did you cook it, I said, meh, mom, did you cook this food, right? I treat her like mom, and she smiles, right? She feels good about that. She feels warm. And maybe that's not the culture where you live. And if you called someone, mom, who was serving you at the mall, they would probably look at you strange. But even though you might not say that because they would look at you strange and it's not maybe appropriate in your culture. But if you think that way, right, if you have this compassion for their welfare, right, with a mind of loving kindness, without any inner hate, get rid of all that inner hate that's in there right? We shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued. This is like soaked in, like permeating with loving kindness, a mind that's just permeating with active goodwill, with a genuine interest in seeing others be well. Starting with that person who was talking to us harshly, who was talking at the wrong time, who was interrupting us, who was speaking unpurposefully, we're going to start with that person and have this permeating loving kindness and compassion for them. And then we're going to do that for the entire world, everybody, abundant, immeasurable, without hostility, without ill will, right? That is how you should train yourself. That will lead to your welfare and peacefulness for a long time. There's absolutely no benefit in going out into the public and speaking with inner hate or speaking with hostility or speaking with anger. There's absolutely no benefit for you to do that. Right now, at this point, you probably don't have 100% control over the mind and you don't have 100% control over your speech. So you might still do that occasionally. But where you do recognize that that it's not beneficial for you. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shameful. But just aim to do better. Have an objective. Have a goal. Have an interest that the next time you aim to do better. And if you're in the conversation and you realize that you're coming across with hatred or anger or ill will, apologize right away. That can be very beneficial for you. Apologize to that person and say, you know, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. There's no reason for me to speak to you that way. And just apologize, right? Be a better person. And if you need to apologize, apologize. So you're going to have people speak to you all different kinds of ways. But the more that you practice this way, you will notice that more and more people around you will speak to you more and more lovingly. It's not going to happen overnight, but gradually this will improve. But if you've been speaking to your children or your life partners or your co-workers aggressively hostile with anger without using these five factors of well-spoken speech, if you've been speaking that way in the past, then that means people are going to keep speaking to you that way because that's the way their mind is conditioned. That's the way that your kama is coming back to you. So you've got to clean up your kama through you practicing these good, wholesome teachings. And by you doing that, more and more people will speak to you with more and more politeness, more and more respectfulness, more and more friendliness. But it's going to take time. Any questions on any of that that we just discussed?
2: Yes, we have a question from Deborah. Okay. If speaking the truth would cause discontent to another, would you still speak or say nothing?
1: I don't always know what is going to necessarily cause discontentedness for somebody because they're causing their own discontentedness if i'm speaking the truth you have to look at what is the situation one of the common examples that come up people have asked me about is if somebody says hey do you like my shirt do you like my outfit if in your mind you really don't like it and you think it doesn't look good on them if you speak the truth in that situation it's going to cause harm right? So you don't necessarily need to say, no, I don't like it. What you can do is you can turn that around and say, you know, all that really matters is that you like it. And if you like it, then, hey, I'm glad you're wearing it. Let's go have fun, right? You don't necessarily need to lie in that situation. You don't necessarily need to stay quiet because if somebody asked you, hey, do you like my shirt? And if you were just quiet, you know, they would kind of infer what was going on, but if you told them that you didn't like it, then you're kind of like judging them or you're kind of maybe putting your views and expectations on them and then it's going to cause discontentedness. So you can kind of oftentimes shift the conversation in another direction without actually lying. So I would never lie in a situation, never, never, never at this point in my life. I would never lie to anybody about anything. If I thought remaining quiet, was best in the situation then sure I would remain quiet but in some situations being silent actually isn't the best option and I have ways of moving the conversation in another direction where I'm not lying but I'm just kind of moving the conversation forward and and that person won't cause their mind to be discontent
2: okay we have no more questions at the moment
1: let me add to that if you know the truth about something and you don't share it, that is called deceit. Now, if it's as simple as somebody asking you, do you like my shirt, and you don't share your true feelings, that's not going to cause you any harm. But for example, if a police officer came to you and said, do you know who shot that person, or do you know who stole your neighbor's bike, and you know the answer, and you said, no, I don't, you're lying in that situation, you ha- you're talking with deceit, or you're covering up the truth, then this is going to cause problems for you. Or if at work, there's some problem at work, and the boss is trying to get the information about what's going on so you guys can make a better decision, if you know the answer and you know the true information, but you hide it and you don't talk, that's deceit. That's hiding the truth. So even though speaking up in a business meeting means that Barbara is going to get in trouble, but it would actually solve the problem that we're talking about here, and the boss really needs to know this, if you didn't share that information, that's deceit, and it's gonna cause harm to this group. So it might not be the appropriate time to talk about it in front of Barbara, but you may need to go share that information with the boss quietly. That's why the proper time is so important as well. So you've got to see all these different situations that you're in, and you've got to look at all these different aspects of practice and figure out what's the right situation and how to actually use these five factors. When you first start off with these, you're gonna have to contemplate. You're gonna have to ponder. You're gonna have to reflect on the situation at hand What's going on and what are the teachings that the Buddha taught and how do I actually implement these in this situation? And if you can figure that out, go for it and see what the results are and then see if you figured it out well. If you're struggling and you're having challenges, that's where you get your help from your teacher. And if you have some certain situation that you're encountering and you're not quite sure how to apply the teachings... You reach out to your teacher, you ask for help. I'll give you some ideas, some guidance, some pointers, but then ultimately it's your decision of what you choose to do. And then you see the results of how these teachings have benefited your life. So there's a lot of nuances. It's not as easy as just here's the five factors and apply them in all situations. You do apply them in all situations, but there's a lot of nuances to it. And that's where your wisdom comes in. And you've got to see how these teachings get applied in each unique situation. And that's why you've got to reside in the present moment with mindfulness, awareness of mind. Just because something worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work in this situation today. That's where some people try to have these blanket statements of whenever something happens, they just reply with this blanket statement. Someone tells you their mom died. I'm sorry for your loss, right? These blanket statements aren't necessarily the right way to respond to somebody. We've got to live in the present moment, reside in the present moment with the mind, look at the situation, take in the information of the body language, the expressions on the face, the tone, tempo, and word choice of the other person, what's going on, and then respond accordingly, Rather than react, we need to respond accordingly. And the more that you learn these teachings, you apply them, see the results, gain the wisdom of that, then you're gonna be better off at applying these more readily, they'll become first nature to you. And that's why when you're in this period of learning and you're thinking and you're pondering and you're contemplating and you're reflecting, that's where you reach out to your teacher if you need help and you're having trouble figuring out how to actually implement these teachings in any given situation so you've got to do enough of this where you're learning intellectually applying them in practice in daily life seeing the results and then you gain the wisdom of seeing what works and what doesn't work and then it becomes first nature it's not a struggle and a challenge anymore eventually this thinking pondering and contemplating goes away Because it becomes such first nature, because the wisdom is so soaked into the mind that you've learned and practiced these teachings so readily in so many different situations that it just becomes first nature. You're operating through this new operating system in the mind. You're operating through all this wisdom that you've acquired. But in order to get there, there's going to be some challenges and struggles along the way, but you've got help and support to work through that.
2: Thank you david we have no more questions at the
1: moment okay so let's do our meditation it would be really great if we were in person or if i could see who's actually joining us with these live streams i can't really see who's joining so i'm not really sure how much of this i need to teach whereas if like we were in person and the same 20 people or same 50 people showed up all the time then i know that we could just slip right into meditation But because I don't know who's on the live stream or who's attended or who hasn't, I always feel like I kind of need to go through this a little bit just to kind of get people on board with understanding how to practice loving kindness meditation. So if you've been learning with me before and you've heard me teach this many times, if you can just be patient while I share this. Openly with people that maybe are joining us for the first time so they can understand how to do loving-kindness meditation. That would be great So if you've never joined us before, let me explain to you how we do loving-kindness meditation And if you have been in these sessions before this can be a nice refresher for you What you're gonna do for loving-kindness meditation is I suggest you start out first with breathing mindfulness meditation. What breathing mindfulness meditation is, is you train the mind to focus on the breath. When there's any thoughts of the past or the future, or any ideas or perceptions that come into the mind, you let them go and you just focus on the breath. And you do that for a period of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long you would like. And that kind of centers the mind grounds the mind, stabilizes the mind in the present moment and starts to kind of clear out all the erroneous chatter. Then after you've done breathing mindfulness meditation for a period of time, you move into loving kindness meditation. And what you do is you practice these affirmations in the mind where you say in the mind, may I be peaceful. And you do that on the out breath and you breathe out, and now you breathe in again, and then you say, on the out-breath, may I be safe. And then you breathe in, on the out-breath, may I be well, and then again, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Okay, essentially, may you attain enlightenment, right? So you're starting with you here, because in order for you to have loving kindness for others, you need to first have it for yourself. You can't have loving kindness for others if you haven't cultivated it for yourself first. So you've gotta cultivate this active goodwill without judgment for yourself. And this affirmation is done quietly in the mind. I'm gonna be doing it out loud so that you can hear it, but the only reason why I'm doing that is so that you can hear it and it can prompt you to then say it internally in the mind, because you're cultivating this in the mind. If you were doing this on your own, you would just do it quietly, cultivating it in the mind. And if I was doing this on my own, I would be doing it quietly. I wouldn't be saying it out loud. You would just see me in meditation and you wouldn't know what I was doing, whether I was doing breathing mindfulness meditation or I was doing loving kindness meditation. You wouldn't know the difference because these affirmations are in the mind. Once you've done may I, then you move to something a little bit wider, a wider ring. And here I've got may we be peaceful, meaning we, those of us that are meditating together. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be well. May we be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes each time on the out-breath then you want to go through some successive rings and there's some creativity here where you can create rings based on your own interests and your own needs based on what's going on in the mind but eventually you want your last ring to be all beings all beings you don't want to leave anyone out you want to have loving kindness and compassion for all beings So today I will do five, six, seven, eight rings. I never know what rings I'm going to do until we actually do the meditation. But for you, you might actually want to do a little bit of planning. If you're having trouble in certain relationships, whether it's your life partner, your children, your coworkers, your parents, whoever it is that you're having trouble in terms of hatred, anger, and ill will towards that person, maybe people from your past that are no longer even in your life anymore you need to include that into your rings. So you're gonna customize this meditation based on the hatred, anger, ill will that exists in your mind. And where you might be on a given day is you might just need to sit with your own mind and just, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. and Just do it for yourself over and over and over again to get over that hatred, anger, ill will that you have for yourself, that self-talk, that negative self-talk in the mind. And you might do that for several weeks. And then you might include another person, do yourself and then one other person that you have a lot of hatred, anger, ill will for, and then go to all beings. And then maybe it's your neighbor, right? And you do that for two, three, four, five weeks. You're not trying to change the other person through your meditation. What you're doing here is you're cultivating this active goodwill in your mind because you've got to change your mind. There's nothing you can do in a chant, in a meditation, or even if there's people who are doing prayer, there's nothing you can do in any of those things that are going to create change in another person. And the way that you know this is true is that if it was true that we could change other people through our meditation and our prayer, we would have no jails. We would have no murderers. We would have no sex abuse. We would have no rapes. Because all it would require is for somebody to sit down, meditate, and change the other person. But that's not how this world works. That's not true reality. So what's really truly going on here in these meditations and in all meditations is you are changing your mind. And by you changing your mind and improving the condition of your mind and your life practice you putting out loving kindness and compassion in the world means that more of that's going to come back to you over time but it's going to take a lot of time gradual training so i will start off the meditation with just a chant to kind of ease us into the meditation i will guide you guys in breathing mindfulness meditation and give kind of a period of time for us to center the mind and focus on the breath. And then at some point, I will come in with loving kindness meditation. And when you hear me saying each of these affirmations, you just repeat it over in the mind. And then when we're done with loving kindness meditation, I will finish with a chant and see what questions you guys have. So you guys go ahead and get your meditation position whether that's seated on the floor or seated in a chair or whether that's lying down on the floor or whether it's standing. We usually don't do loving-kindness meditation in the walking position. So it's usually either seated, lying, or standing. Go ahead and get your lower body comfortable. Your lower body should just be stable and comfortable. If you feel any pain at all during meditation, just Shift your body, move it to get to the point where you're not feeling pain anymore. Bring your hands and your arms into the center where either your right hand is on top of your left with your thumbs together and you put that in your lap or your palms are on your thighs or your knees or on the armrest of your chair. Just make it so that your lower body and your hands and arms are just completely relaxed. There's no muscles engaged whatsoever. Your torso, you should erect your spine and maintain your muscles, maintain active muscles, so that this will keep the mind alert, attentive, and aware. Because we don't want the mind to become complacent during meditation. We would like to actively train this mind. This is an active, dedicated, purposeful training session where we're eliminating hatred, anger, ill will, and we're cultivating active goodwill towards all beings or loving kindness. So by keeping your spine erect, that will maintain an alert and attentive mind. Close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose just develop a nice natural consistent breath breathing in and out don't try to force the breath don't try to control it but just breathe in through the nose and out through the nose focus the mind on the breath the sound of the breath Or the sensation of the air moving over the skin and into the nose. That breath is the present moment. You want to fixate the mind on the breath. During breathing mindfulness meditation, if the mind goes to the past or the future, if there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, just let them go and focus on the breath. So I'm going to let you guys sit here for a bit. I'm going to do some chanting, and then I'll come back with a little bit more guidance before I leave you on your own for breathing mindfulness meditation, and then we'll move into loving-kindness. (laughs)
3: Hara hansamasam motom hakawa. Po tang mi. savakato damang namasami Sāvāka-sāṅkho-sāṅghāng-namā-mīn. Nāpmodhā-sābhākavāto ārāhāto-sammā-sambhūtasā. Nap more her sap hacko ato. Ada hato some masam viti biso maha anu tero dama sati manu-sanāṁ bhūto-bhāgavāti
1: Should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady, consistent breath. Natural breath. If any thoughts, ideas, perceptions come into the mind, cut them off. Let them go. Focus on the breath. If the mind goes to the past or the future, cut that off. Let it go. No need to feel guilty, shameful. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just the mind trying to wander. Just bring the mind back to the breath. Wherever you notice, it's drifted. Through this training of letting go and coming back to the breath, you're training the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. The mental longing with a strong eagerness. When the mind longs for something, you're going to cut it off, let it go. And bring the mind to the breath. So sit here with the breath. And just focus on cutting off any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions. Let them go. And just keep bringing the mind back to the breath. You have nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time. Focus only on the breath. Now maintaining your breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. On the out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind, May I be peaceful. I be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Peaceful. May we be safe. Be well. May we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who have harmed me, may they all be peaceful. be safe. May they be well. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. cause harm to be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. have hatred, anger, and ill will towards me. May they all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. all those whom I hate have anger or ill will towards. Be peaceful, be safe. May they be well. they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes beings, no matter where they reside, on this planet or any other place far 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 beyond. May they all be peaceful. be safe. May they be well. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
3: Svārakhāṁ <Sýstas> sammāsaṁ <Sýstas> <Sýstas> Satipano bhagavakto savakasankho sangha namami Nap more her sap hacker at all. Ada hatto some Nap more has a hack of ato. Ara Iti piso hack of a Chara nang samuno saka to ruka we dama sati sata tava manu HOTO BHAGAVATI
1: Okay, if you guys would like to come out of meditation... So what questions do you guys have on loving kindness meditation, on breathing mindfulness meditation, or anything that we've been discussing in this program up to this point?
2: I'm interested to know, David, when you're repeating the affirmation for all beings, are you visualizing anything for that particular affirmation? If so, who or what do you visualize?
1: I only do this now when I'm teaching. I don't need this meditation anymore. But when I used to do this and I was really transforming the mind from hatred, anger, ill will into loving kindness, I would visualize the people, the group, or if it was like my mom or my sister or an employee or a customer, I literally visualize that person in my mind and just Kind of radiating and feeling like i was radiating loving kindness from me to them not because i'm trying to change them right because we know that we're not trying to change them but i just wanted to kind of ooze this loving kindness on them and by doing that in meditation then when i was with them the loving kindness just oozed out from me from the mind So visualizing the person or the group of people, like when I said, may we be peaceful, even today, I'm thinking now, I visualized all of you guys kind of sitting in a circle around in a circle. And I thought about all of the people who are doing meditation with me right now at this moment. You know, that did go through my mind today. So visualizing each group or an individual and keeping that in the mind, just kind of almost like oozing syrup over this group, this syrup of loving kindness.
2: Thank you, yeah, because I've been trying a couple of different things. So for example, when we say all beings, sometimes the mind sort of jumps from being to being to being to place to place to place, from humans to animals, everyone else and I think sometimes the mind can jump around a bit too much trying to like tap everyone and uh, I think it can be sometimes best just to focus on a a group even in maybe in that last statement but um, yeah because the alternative is just just focus on you know the ones you're having challenges with so I think there's maybe a middle to be found there
1: yeah when i used to do this meditation a lot and i was leading people in america to do this in the groups that i would lead one of the rings that i would structure if we were discussing the cycle of rebirth on that day i would go through the realms so it would be may i be peaceful all the way through those may we be peaceful then it was may all beings in hell right in the hell realm be peaceful safe, well, free of discontentness, may all beings in the afflicted spirits realm, may all beings in the animal realm, may all beings in the human realm, may all beings in the heavenly realm, right? So I would do it that way. Then sometimes I would say, may all beings to the north, right? And I would go through the four phrases. May all beings to the south, may all beings to the west, to the east, may all beings above, may all beings below, I would say, you know, may I, may we, may all of those in this building, because at that point I was in a large building with a hotel and a restaurant and different things, may all beings in this building, may all beings in this city, may all beings in this county, may all beings in this state, may all beings in this country, may all beings on this continent, may all beings in this world, may all beings in all the other planets, right? Like, so I would just kind of do it by geography sometimes I would do it by relationship you know may I may we may my friends may my family may my co-workers you know you structure it that way so every time I did this I would get really creative I haven't really been that creative with this group I guess because I don't do it that much anymore I had real world experience because there were certain groups that I was hating back then. So I had to, you know, really kind of structure it based on what I need. Like right now, I'm just kind of saying some of the ones that I think were the most impactful for me during the time when I used to use this meditation a lot. But you can come up with all kinds of different rings. And that's one of the things that I think makes this meditation kind of fun is there's a certain element of creativity to it. But that creativity has to be based on what's in your mind, wherever you're experiencing hatred, anger, ill will. If you come home from work and somebody cut you off and you have all this hatred built up for that person that cut you off, include them in your meditation that night with loving kindness, right? Like Make it really applicable to what it is that's going on in your life at that particular moment. And that's what I used to do all the time. Now, I don't hate anyone or anything or any being. So I'm just kind of using these general phrases just because I don't really have anything at this particular moment that I would hate. There's just nothing that I hate at all.
2: Thank you, yes. Well, what we're doing certainly seems to be working. So uh, creativity or not, it's uh, definitely creative enough, certainly for me. And um, so we have a question from Deborah about community. Deborah asks, would it become confusing to be part of a community practicing a different Buddhist tradition? For example, if they practice rites and rituals?
1: You know, I I think that depending on where you are in your practice and how much you feel like you understand, you could potentially join a community like that and just know that their rites, rituals and ceremonies aren't what the Buddha taught. But if they're doing those things there's probably a lot of other things they're doing as well in terms of what i'm teaching you you're going to find it extremely difficult to find any community that's teaching you what i'm teaching you and it's not because these aren't the buddhist teachings it's because out of over 200 temples that i've ever been to i've only ever found one temple That is practicing the Buddhist teachings the way that he taught and really on a detailed level. And that's over 20 years of visiting Buddhist temples. So I think no matter where you go, there's going to be some aspect of these teachings that they're not practicing or they're practicing something that's completely opposite of what the Buddha taught. So if you went out into the world looking for a community of practitioners to join, And you were going to make a decision based on practicing the buddhist teachings that's such a small narrow circle of people so i think at a certain level you have to just decide that there's some benefit here for me to be around other buddhist practitioners and where i see things that aren't the buddhist teachings i just know that those things aren't things that i need to practice and i shouldn't practice those things i don't need to practice those things but there's probably some other benefits that you're experiencing there i usually suggest for people to learn with me for a minimum of six months maybe the better part of a year before they move into reading other books or joining dhamma talks or communities of people with other teachers so that you have a really strong foundation of the teachings first then when you hear things that are different than what I'm teaching, then you'll understand why and you'll be able to compare and contrast it. Whereas if you just started with me in a month or two or three, and then you're learning with me and learning with two or three or four other teachers, it would become very confusing for you because each teacher is going to explain the Four Noble Truths differently. Each teacher is going to explain the Eightfold Path differently. Each teacher is going to have different meditations and the reasons why they do those meditations. So I think it takes a good six months to a year for you to really learn what I'm sharing, observe the benefits that these teachings are indeed improving the condition of your mind, and then kind of branching out. It can actually be beneficial because you can kind of see where things are different. Like Max has done this Uh, recently and after he was kind of learning for about a year he started to read other books and other teachers and watch videos from other teachers and then when things he would see he would come back in a private discussion with me and say David I saw Ajahn Brahm is teaching this or I saw this teacher is teaching that it's different than what you're teaching but can you explain to me why you teach the way you teach and perhaps what they're teaching why is it different and max and i have had umpteen number of conversations like that where he saw something different than what i'm teaching and what it led to i think he would share is it led to him understanding these teachings more deeply by comparing it and contrasting it to what he's seeing in other places but max you'll have to speak for yourself
2: yes for sure we had a similar conversation just today before class actually about right intention and what that includes. So yeah, absolutely has been useful doing that. We have a question from Jacqueline. She asks, How can one help another who is angry?
1: Well, there's only certain things that we can do. That person who's angry, they have to extinguish that. And oftentimes when somebody is in the moment of anger, that's the wrong time to speak. Right? You're not really gonna get anything through when they're raging and they're fierce and they're hostile oftentimes the best thing to do is just to stay quiet in that situation so that they can see that they're the only ones angry because if you start talking and try to talk with them and try to fix the situation at that moment it's just going to incite more anger and they're going to blame it on you so if somebody gets angry in your presence the best thing i found is just to be completely quiet and say nothing There's nothing I can say at that time that's going to change the situation. It's not the right time to speak at that moment. It's not going to be beneficial for them for me to speak at that moment. So I just choose to say nothing when someone's angry. After they've calmed down at whatever given time, if there's somebody who's close to me, like my wife or my son or something like that, I will talk to them further from there. And I may even ask them, is this a good time to talk? and see if they're interested in talking. And if they're not interested in talking, then I don't talk. But ultimately, in order for somebody to solve their anger, they have to do it themselves. There's nothing you can do to fix somebody else's anger. All you can do is kind of show them. And sometimes showing them their anger is by you being quiet. You know, there were times where my wife was very angry with me and hostile and aggressive. And by me just being quiet and saying nothing, and she just got anger and anger and anger, and then it kind of extinguished over the course of five minutes or 10 minutes, she could see that she's causing her own anger. And that led to some really good realizations for her because by David being completely quiet, she saw all the anger was on her and she slowly eliminated that. To the point where now she hardly ever gets angry anymore. I I don't even really see it much at all. But when she does get angry, she knows it's coming from her because I'm completely quiet. So there's nothing you can do. That person has to make the choice. My wife made the choice. I made the choice. Max makes the choice. All of us has to make the choice to extinguish this anger. And that's the only way for them to make a choice. One of the things that I suggest... Like I suggested this to Max recently, is if you have copies of these books, you can leave them in people's house, <laughs> right? And then, like during COVID or during a winter storm or something, they might pick it up and start reading it, right? Um, that might be a way that if there's somebody around you that you feel like could really benefit from these teachings, is you send them a link to the book, or you have some of these books and you just politely leave them in people's house or you give them out as holiday gifts or birthday gifts for people because the only thing that i found in this world that's going to transform the mind from discontentedness to complete peace complete and utter peace is gotama buddhist teachings and this book has them consolidated in a way that they can learn them and improve the condition of the mind, not just reading, but the podcast, the audiobook, the videos, the quizzes, all of that stuff's in the book. And there's references in there for them to get help with me as well. So you can't actually fix someone else's anger. They have to do it themselves. By you putting things in front of them, they have to choose to step forward and pick up the book and take the active role in eliminating their anger. Thank you, David. We have no more questions. Okay, so I would like to thank all of you for joining today and for all the hard work that you're doing in this group learning program. We're at chapter 11. We're almost at about halfway through the book or halfway through this group learning program. And I know that you've been learning a lot and you've been looking at a lot of the resources and practicing these teachings and you should be seeing some benefits along the way. I hear from students regularly who share with me that they are seeing the benefits. And I meet with students privately when we're not having these classes. There's a link that you can schedule an appointment with me. It's offered openly and freely to everybody. And what I notice is that's become very beneficial to a lot of people. There's some people that I meet with every week. They choose to schedule an appointment or every two weeks. And it's not something that I required you to do or something that I would force you to do. But if you're at a point where you feel like some private guidance could be helpful for you, I would like to encourage you, whether you're in this online class in Zoom or Facebook or YouTube, whether you're listening to this on the podcast, even if you've never even seen my face before and you don't know what I look like, reach out and get some help because you're gonna need some help in order to learn and practice these teachings. And there's a simple link that'll take you all of 10 seconds to schedule an appointment with me. And it comes through in an email. It gets put on my calendar. And then we meet right here in Zoom where we can either do audio or video. And you can share with me some of the things that are challenging for you, some of the things you're struggling with, some of the things that you need clarification on and I will help you. And it's normal for students to get help, so that's why I make myself available. And if you're in Chiang Mai, like I see Randall's joining us today, Randall's actually coming over to my house on Monday to learn walking meditation. I haven't taught walking meditation yet, but he's really interested in it, and he asked me, hey David, can you teach me walking meditation? So. We made a plan for him to come over to my house on Monday, and we're going to meet for a walking meditation. So you're not bothering me. This is what I do. I share the teachings with Gotama Buddha. I'm sharing these with the community. You guys are sponsoring me and supporting me with your donations to help you. So that's my role. That's my function. I've given up everything else in my life in order to share these teachings with you and live just a very meager life based on very minimal things that I need to purchase in the world to sustain my life and this is what I do one of the biggest things that I hear from students when they're kind of on the fence about whether to reach out to me privately for help or not is they say oh I I just don't want to bother you but you're not bothering me because if I'm not talking to you and teaching you I'm going to be teaching somebody else this is what I do with my life from the moment I wake up until the moment i go to sleep i'm either involved in my own meditation in my own practice or i'm helping my son or my wife with these teachings helping a neighbor somebody in our community I'm online helping people on facebook or some of the other social media sites sharing teachings i'm involved in personal discussions with people online i'm doing presentations online to colleges and different classes I'm doing interviews with podcasts. I spend 100% of my time sharing these teachings. Every once in a while, I'll pull up Netflix and watch Netflix, or I'll watch some YouTube videos and see what's going on in the world. But the vast majority of my time, I'm sharing these teachings with people just like you. So you can reach out to me and get help about anything that you're learning, that you're seeing, that you're observing, anything that's going on in your life anything that you're experiencing in your life i'm pretty sure that i've experienced that or something very similar and there's lots of ways that i can share things that helped me and give you lots of different insights and solutions and you can choose what you feel is best for you but i'm here as an opportunity for you to seek guidance and seek advice that's what you're doing for me is you're providing me support through donations to support the little bit of food and things that I need in order to sustain my life. And that's you sharing your generosity with me through your donations. So I'm making myself available to you so that you can have access to somebody who's practicing these teachings and practicing them closely so that you can tap into that knowledge and that wisdom. So I'm here for you. You just have to choose if you would like to reach out and get help. But I do notice that people that do that seem to make a lot of progress in their practice. So feel free to reach out and get help. Ask questions in the Facebook group. Ask questions in class. Ask questions privately through text chat, audio chat, or video chat. I'm here to help you and help you progress on this path. Because as you guys know, this is the very best thing you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and all of humanity. So have a really wonderful rest of your day, the rest of your week. On Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time, we're going to be discussing chapter 12, which is identifying attachments, really kind of being able to identify what attachments you have and through identifying those attachments, then you can work on eliminating them. So go ahead and continue to work on chapter 11, either listening to the audiobook, reading the book, watching the videos, developing your meditation practice really, really well. And then next week, we're going to move into chapter 12. So between now and then, practice breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation And then in your daily life, practice loving kindness with all people around you. Be polite, be kind, be friendly, be loving, be caring, speak with respect, have respect for all people, no matter who it is, people that you agree with, people that you disagree with, people who have the same opinion as you or people who have a different opinion than you. I know in America, you guys are in very close election time and a lot of politics going on right now, where there's a lot of people that are at odds with each other. Just be polite, kind, respectful, and loving with all people, no matter what they say or what they do. As the Buddha said, remain unaffected by how others speak. Your mind should reside unaffected anything that's going on. And when you see that you're not able to do that, take note of that and then work to improve it. So thank you for joining. I appreciate your time, effort, and energy to dedicate to learning and practicing these teachings. We'll see you on Sunday at nine o'clock. Sawadikha.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast.